You're listening to a Centro Church podcast. Good to see you. Good to see some new faces. If you don't know me, my name is Mark. I'm normally the location pastor down at Collingwood Park, our other location. But this morning, I'm here. Spare a thought for me, but at about quarter past 11 today, when I'll be speaking at Collingwood Park with no air con. So live it up here. You know, I think, I think all the people around me this morning choked because I emptied half a can of links into my armpits just, just in preparation. You've got, to, you've got to do that when you're pioneering. Hey, hey, look, don't you love January? Yeah, yeah it's just great, isn't it? I mean, you know, it's the start of the year. I mean, you, you, we, we can go two whole weeks without making a mistake, you know, and then, then it all goes downhill from there, more or less. But you, you see all, all the prophecies come out. God wants to do a new thing. And I'm not making light of that. I believe he does. That's what he says in the book of Isaiah. He says, I want to do a brand new thing, a thing that you haven't seen before, something that you will say, is this God? Because you don't think it's from me. And I believe that he wants to do that. But if I can be blunt, if I can be really honest, some of us aren't ready for a new thing. We're struggling with the current thing. We can't work it out. We can't get through it. And a new thing might just sound a little bit too much, a, a bridge too far. In my experience, a lot of people who follow Jesus are excited past and future. That means they're excited that their sins are under the blood that Jesus has dealt with their past and they're excited about what lies ahead, eternal life. Past and future. But present, uh, there's a notable lack of excitement in the present. The present can be a struggle. There seems to be no freedom and although your past has been nailed and your future is secure, the present, uh, it's there's no freedom. It's almost like we, we live like slaves. There's some of you here today and you're doing it tough. I don't say that by any word of knowledge. I say that by the law of averages. There would be in a crowd this size. Have you ever felt like that you've taken all the steps that you know how to take? You've done all the things that you know how to do. You've done all the things that they say you should do and it's still not working. It's gone pretty quiet in the house right now. <laughs> Sometimes the thing that isn't said out loud in church is that you can give your life to Jesus and it can still be disastrous. I want to give you a warning. This one is not for the faint-hearted this morning. You can believe all the right things and you can, your life can still be a mess. You might be here this morning and you say, I've given my life to Jesus. I've, I've crossed that line of faith. I've opened it up to God and Something's still not working. It's just not right. And for some of you, it hasn't been working for a long, long time. You're not sure what's going on. Have you ever felt as if God is helping everyone but you? He's helping everyone live out their dreams but you? He's answering everyone else's prayers but yours. And that would be okay if he wasn't helping anybody, but it seems like he is, just not you. It would be all right if the struggle was for all of us, but it seems like other people have got it figured out. Don't you just hate that person that gives their life to Jesus and everything goes right straight away? They get a better job, they get a better car, they get a better girlfriend, boyfriend, they get more money, and they're running around saying, isn't God awesome? And you're saying, yeah, not really. He's not awesome enough just right at the moment. He's not awesome to me. There's this curious dynamic in the scriptures 
that tells us that God has these promises and that these promises are for us, but sometimes we can't access them. It's like they're there, but they're on the other side of something solid and we can't get to them. And reality doesn't always seem to match the promises. What we want to see is the matching of our lives to the promises of God, the ones that are listed in the Bible, to live in the full measure of the life that God created us to live, yeah? Is that you? Is that what you want? Come back to me, good, yep. At the end of the day, God created us to live in absolute freedom, intimate relationship with him, and to live our lives to the fullest of our potential. I want to dig into a a couple of verses in Galatians this morning, Galatians chapter 4, that talks about this, talks about why we don't actually always access the promises, the things that stand in our way, the stumbling blocks, why we don't get always what God has for us in its fullness. So Galatians chapter 4 and starting at verse 1, the Apostle Paul's writing, says, what I'm saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he's no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also we were underage. When we were in slavery under the elemental forces, elemental spiritual forces of the world. Verse 4. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship and daughtership. Because you are his sons and daughters. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now you know God, or rather are known by God. How is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? Father, this morning, we just honour the power of your word. We honour the power in it to change our lives, to bring transformation. Father, we just open ourselves up to what you might do in our lives this morning in Jesus' name. And we all say? The first thing I notice in this passage is that even though we're heirs, we can live like slaves. Even though we're his children, we can live like orphans. But then he tells us that as long as an heir is underage, he won't experience the full benefit of being an heir. See, what the scriptures are telling us is that you have been brought into a very unique family. Once you cross that line of faith, once you give your life to Jesus, you enter into a new bloodline. You become a son and daughter of the living God. But the problem is that we don't always live that out. We don't always see the full reality of that heirdom, if that's the right word, heirship. That's probably not. So there's a gap between who we are and the life we experience and, and what he wants to do in our lives. So when we cross that line, we can be right in the middle of what God has for us if we know who we are. So we can access all of the promises that are ours if we know who we are. He says, as long as an heir is underage, he's no different from a slave. See, he's assuming that we know. He's assuming that we know that we're heirs. He's assuming that we know we have access to all the Father has because of our relationship with him. You know you're married into royalty. That's what this equates to. 
you know that you're now in the bloodline to receive far more than you could ever ask or imagine? You're like Megan Markle, not in appearance, but in, in her status. See, she was an actress from L.A. Now she is the Duchess of Sussex with all the inheritance that comes with that. That's like us. We step into a family and we are heirs to the inheritance that God has for us. And maybe you don't know who you are. You see, the dominant reason that a lot of us live like slaves is we don't know who we are. We have this lack of identity and it's crippling. He says, you're an heir, but as long as you're underage, you're no different from a slave. That's disturbing. We are sons and daughters of the living God, and yet we can still live like slaves. He says that we can be no different from a slave, although we own the whole estate. The whole estate is at our disposal. That's just like adding insult to injury, isn't it? Even though you're the owner of everything, you live like a slave. Slaves have nothing. So I want to ask you, do you think you're living like a slave? In your relationship with God, do you think that you're living like a slave? Are you, are you restricted by things? Are you experiencing the full measure of his promises? You have to understand that Jesus didn't die on the cross so God could be your master. He died on the cross so God could be your father. Sometimes we relate to God as a slave to a master. And you can know that you're in a slave. You can know that you're in a slave relationship with God if it's all about guilt and shame. If it's all about obedience and obligation, if it's all about being trapped in religion and worried about God's judgment and condemnation and you're afraid of God because you feel like you're a slave and he's a master. There's a lot of us here who struggle with relationship with God and we relate to God as if we're slaves and we never expect anything. We need to lift our expectations to that of a son and daughter. People who are slaves never ask for anything. They never own anything. Slaves never have anything that is theirs. So are you living like slaves? Answer that to yourself because you're not slaves. You're heirs, heirs to the fortune of heaven. And this passage in Galatians tells us why. He says, he talks about a slave being underage. It's a question of maturity. It's about reaching a level of maturity. It's about leaving spiritual childhood behind, becoming a mature believer. I read this week that in the great state of Virginia in the USA, a six-year-old decided you know, he was going to school, he walked down to the bus, and he missed the bus. Six years old. So he didn't think it was any problem to walk back to the house, grab the keys to the family car, and drive to school. He drove to school in peak hour, Six years old, overtaking, he overtook the bus that he missed, weaving in and out of cars until finally he changed lanes a little bit too radically and ran into a post and the big adventure came to a grinding halt. You see, he thought he was ready. He thought, yeah, I'll take the keys, I'll take the, the, get the Ford Taurus out of the carport and drive to school. But he wasn't ready. He wasn't ready. See, that's why we don't have access to all the promises and blessings that God has for us because spiritually, we have some growing up to do. Amen? Put up your hand if you have some growing up to do. I'll put up both. 
No one is in a greater hurry for you to grow up than God. He wants to treat you like an heir. Every day that you don't live like a slave is a good day for God because it's all yours. All the promises, everything contained in the scriptures is yours, but they don't take effect in your life while you're underage. See, physically, you eventually grow up. You turn 16, you turn 18, you turn 21, and the law of the land identifies you as an adult, even if you aren't really emotionally or relationally. And you get the privileges of adulthood by turning that age, and sometimes they can be the most devastating points of freedom in your life because you weren't ready. You didn't know how to handle them. But your walk with God isn't about time. Spiritual maturity isn't about tenure or seniority. It's all about the choices that you make. It's not about how many hours you've been following Jesus that makes you spiritually mature. It's how many choices have you made. Have you chosen like an adult believer? Some people can believe for 20 years and make no progress. They don't know why that things haven't changed. It's because they've found the safe space of adolescence. As long as they stay spiritually immature, they don't have to take on any responsibility, they can always be someone else's responsibility. I wouldn't be too happy about that if I was always someone else's responsibility, would you? Are you struggling with this? Are you where you were last year? Are you where you were five years ago? Are you where you were 10 years ago? Are you making progress? That's why you might have been a Christian for a lot of years and someone else comes along and they're brand new and within two years their influence, their maturity, their access to God's presence, their ability to have their prayers answered far exceeds your own because of maturity because they've matured faster. It's not about how long you believed, it's how deeply you believe. To make choices that will put you in the space where you challenge yourself to become the person God wanted you to be, to place yourself at the epicenter of what God is doing and let God see in you that moment that you can be used. All that slaves know is limitation and powerlessness. God is limitless. He's a limitless father. We have this curious idea of, of a spiritual battle going on between Jesus and the devil. It's like the devil is Jesus' a direct opponent. He's not. The devil is a created being, a fallen angel. At best, his direct opponent is Michael or Gabriel or you know, archangels. Jesus is way above that. He's eternally God. He is, he is part of a limitless triune God. He's not limited by anything. The devil is a limited being, a created being. It's not even a fair fight, folks. When you're a slave, you don't own anything. You don't have any hope of owning anything, but it's all about maturity. It's all about where you see yourself. I want to read a verse from Proverbs chapter 25, and it just, it just sort of grabs this and it throws the responsibility into the space where it should be. Proverbs chapter 25 and verse 28, it says, Whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. Quickly paraphrased, that means my spirit, my responsibility. In the book of Acts chapter 2, it talks about the new believers. 
the new believers in Jesus, the ones who had just gotten saved, they didn't get a phone call, they didn't get followed up, they didn't get an email. The Bible says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They took responsibility themselves for their own growth. They made choices that would see them grow, that would see them mature. They put themselves in the space that challenged them so that they would grow and mature. They didn't set back and enjoy the safe space of adolescence. Adolescents want freedom without responsibility, but adults understand that freedom always comes with a responsibility, and that responsibility is the pathway to maturity. Then that verse, chapter, um, verse 4, But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. The reason that God did it like he did, that he sent his son to live as a human, was so that he could show us how a son should relate to the father. He would relate to us as sons and daughters. He invites us to be his sons and daughters, but he sent Jesus to show us how to relate to him as a son. There are some who live like, live like slaves when they should be heirs, but also there are some who live like orphans when they should be sons and daughters. Verse 6, because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba Father. Have you ever thought about that? Have you thought about that? why he did that? It sounds really strange that God would put his spirit in our hearts and calls out Abba Father. It's because God didn't know. He knew that we didn't have the language to express the relationship that he'd just given us. So his Holy Spirit kick-starts it and connects our spirit to his. That's why he calls out Abba Father. Verse 2, the heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. What God is trying to tell us here is that he never meant for us to live under guardians and trustees. He always meant us to have a direct and intimate relationship with him, a direct relationship to our father. Living like a slave, you don't pray for anything. But living like an orphan, you pray just for the scraps. You don't feel you have the right to pray for what a son and daughter should pray for. You're not bold enough to ask for what a son and daughter would ask for. Slaves exist, but orphans survive. It's about identity. Now, we can pursue identity in a number of ways. Back in, in 1977, now probably a lot of you weren't born then, but it, there was a year called 1977, I, I went to my first ever concert. I'm in year 12, I'm a 16-year-old Mark, and I went to my first concert at Festival Hall in Brisbane. Not there now, it's been demolished. But I went to see a guy called Brian Ferry. Give me a wave if you've heard of Brian Ferry. Oh, that's good, that's actually better than I thought, better than I hoped for. Yeah, so I went to see this guy called Brian Ferry. It was, it was in the days where you couldn't buy tickets online. You had to camp overnight in the street outside Festival Hall to be there in line when you bought your tickets. And so managed to get three of the last four seats available in the first concert. You always want to go to the first concert. It sort of goes downhill after that. Anyway, so it turned up on the night of the concert and watched Brian Ferry. And, and I just thought, this guy has to be the coolest individual that ever lived. And so for the rest of my grade 12 year, 
I became Brian Ferry. I did. I got, I, I got the same sunglasses that he wore on his album cover. I got my hair cut the same. I, when I went to school dances, I even copied this rolling of the shoulders that he, he did like that. And I was, I was watching my son Stephen dance at a wedding and he was doing exactly the same thing. So it's obviously been captured in the genes and passed on. I, I didn't have much in the way of facial hair at the time, but I did manage to grow this little tiny moustache-like thing on, the, on my top lip, like, just like him. And, and I, for all intents and purposes, I was the man. Yeah. I stopped short of the leather trousers that he wore. I, just, I thought that was probably a bridge too far. You can understand why. But anyway, I sought this identity. In, it actually worked well for me too. <laughs> Didn't do too badly out of it. But anyway, um, it all comes crashing down when you realise you're actually not the person you're trying to emulate. And isn't it amazing how we can be drawn towards things that, that can actually make us feel like we have an identity, but we, but we actually don't? See, we get tribal. We wear the playing shirts of football teams we'll never play for. They don't pay us anything. We are walking billboards of advertisement for them. Isn't that right? So we can be identified with them. Think about the identity crisis that Broncos fans are having. For so many years living in the past. And what about the identity crisis that Arsenal fans are having? They don't have a past. Can you imagine the identity crisis that Manchester United supporters are currently experiencing? They have, this, they have this untold fear that the future can never be as good as the present. It's, it's true. It's true. That's why when we look for identity in secondary places, it never adds up. It never stacks up. It's always falling short. As sons and daughters of the living God, we can get identity from one place, and one place only, the Father. How is it found? It's found in intimate connection with him. We often go to God and we want to hear God's voice, and we want to hear it because we want to hear what he's saying to everybody else. God will tell you, in my experience, 90% of stuff he tells you is about him. Because if you know him, you can understand you. 9% is about you, and 1% is about somebody else. So work on those averages. We can only find our true identity in spending time, in intimate connection. As God pushes back and forward, we find out about ourselves, we find out about who he is. He's a good, good father. We've sung it this morning, we've declared it, let's live it. Don't look to secondary things to, to find out where your identity is. You know, our ancestry can come into it. We, we look for identity in our ancestry. Brett recently did an ancestry DNA to find out about the Turner bloodline. It, 
it explains some things. Let me say that. It turned out that we turners are 26% Scandinavian. That's it. I, I, was always, I always felt like a Viking. I could feel it in my soul. It didn't give me any, any basis for my identity, but it did explain some things, like the deep connection I felt with the immigrant song by Led Zeppelin. We come from the land of the ice and snow. Or the occasional urge to burn and pillage. And, and Nerida's deep desire to one day own a Volvo. Yeah. There's, there's Scandinavian blood flowing through these veins, folks. But it doesn't give me identity. What gives me identity is God's spirit in me that cries out, Abba, Father. And I listen to that. Not bloodlines, not football jerseys, not secondary attempts at finding my identity. I come as a son and a daughter. You know, we often think that when we struggle, when we hit opposition, that that God doesn't like us. It's not that way at all. We think that God has left us. He's, he's, you know, he's moved on to someone else and we're just left to wallow in our own struggles. It's not like that at all. See, everything, every deep work that God does in our lives has to be tested. And that identity that we so crave is just merely on the other side of that testing. What we have to do is persevere. We pray, we don't get answers. We, we pray again, we don't get answers. Then we give up. Instead of going back to the Father, back to that point of connection, back into his presence and sorting it out, asking why, having a conversation with God. That's what we do. We get back into it. We don't think that opposition is a sign that he left us. It's a sign that we have to actually take on the battle. See, when we take on the battle ourselves and we, and we fight, God is teaching us authority. When he fights and wins the battle for us, he, he, he does win the battle. He's teaching us sonship. He's teaching us who we are. He's teaching us who he is, and he's teaching us who we are because the two are inseparable. So this kind of deep work has to have opposition. When God establishes identity in you, it has to be tested. Everything has to be tested. Everything he does has to be tested. When opposition comes, recognize it for what it is. It's the refining, testing process of what God's doing. It's not him running away from you and leaving you in the lurch. Now, it's just what you have to do is press in and it's a chance to extend that calling in your life. It's not a time to run from the fight. It's not a time to get offended. There was a woman who came to Jesus. She was a Syrophoenician woman and she came and she asked Jesus to to heal her daughter. And Jesus said, look, healing is the children's bread. It belongs to Israel. And she could have been, that was actually a little bit insulting, and she could have been offended, but she said, but even the dogs get to eat the scraps from the table. And he goes, wow, that's some faith. Good on you for persevering. Your daughter's healed. Bang. See, she didn't get offended. She pushed through the opposition, even though it came from the Lord himself. It came from him. And and she pushed through that. In Psalm 105, there's this really curious idea of God positions Israel for domination in their, in their region, and then 
He fires up an enemy just so they know who they are, just so they can beat the enemy and know who they are. That's why testing is always a part of life. Opposition is always a part of life. You were born for something that is on the other side of opposition or a conflict or a difficulty. We have to be more impressed with the one who assigned us that difficulty than we are with the difficulty, yeah? Right, let's move on. See, what I'm talking about this morning isn't a belief system. It's actually the creator of the universe saying, I want you. I want you to be my sons and daughters. I want you to be my heirs. I want you to live in the fullness of what I promised you. I want you to live in the freedom that comes from being my sons and daughters. And he's just waiting for us to say yes. It's January and it's summer, so indulge me with a cricket illustration. Yesterday morning, I don't know if any of you watched it, but there was the final of the Women's Big Bash League, which is 2020 cricket, happened in Sydney, and it was won by the ladies from the Brisbane Heat. Yeah, so good. It's come as a surprise to some of you, hasn't it? In that team, in that, in that Brisbane Heat team, there is a young lady called Grace Harris. We've known Grace since she was in primary school. She is a unique individual. She is, was described by her captain in a pre-match interview as a once-in-a-generation type of player, someone who could do things with a bat and a ball that no other woman cricketer in the world could do. And then her captain went on to say something that, that absolutely struck me. And she said, she is her own. She plays with complete freedom. See, Grace has hit upon something that actually illustrates for us this morning what I'm talking about. For her, it's not about winning or losing. It's not about success or failure. She plays the game in a way to be true to the spirit inside of her. The spirit inside of her says, no matter what the state of the game, no matter who the opposition are, I will attack, I will always go for it, and that's what she did. It's not about how many runs she makes or how many wickets she gets. It's about, is she actually true to the driving force in her spirit, which says, I will go for it no matter what the cost. And at times it's been risky and it has cost her. It cost her a position in the Australian team. But she didn't see it as failure. It's only failure for Grace if she isn't true to the spirit that's inside of her. And so she comes to us this morning as almost a perfect illustration of what I'm saying. It's not about how long we've been saved. It's not about how long we've been serving God and following God. It's not about our successes. It's not about money in the bank. It's not about house, wife, family. It's not about success or failure. It's not about winning or losing. It's about are we true to the spirit inside of us that cries out, Abba, Father? 
Are we true to that spirit that God has placed deep in us that highlights that it's all about connection? It's all about being the person that God wants us to be. It's about not living enslaved. It's about not being an orphan. It's about being an heir. It's all about sonship and daughtership. That's what it's all about. I just want to finish with a verse, a couple of verses actually from First. Corinthians, and then we're going to spend some time just, just praying. It says this, 1 Corinthians 13, 11 and 12. It says, When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall fully know fully, even as... I am fully known. See, we will know fully, even as we are fully known, even as our own identity is established and we allow ourselves to be fully known, that we will take our place as the heirs, as the sons and daughters of the living God that we were designed to be. Amen? Let's pray. I want you to remember the entire estate is ours. The entire estate. It's all there. I want to pray for some people this morning. Maybe you don't know if you're living like a slave, though I suspect that you might. Let me just describe the symptoms. If you're here and you're overwhelmed with anxiety, just anxious all the time, you're anxious about everything. You can't even identify what's causing your anxiety. You're living like a slave and an orphan. Life isn't supposed to be like that. You're supposed to be free from that fear and worry. Maybe you're always negative. If you struggle with negativity all the time and no matter how much good happens in your life, you just can't see the good. All you can see is what goes wrong. You're living like a slave and an orphan. Some of you are stressed out all the time and you think it's because of your life, your job, your kids, your external circumstances. I want to tell you that there are people taking on way more than you and they're not stressed. Stress is not a, re- stress is not a result of your outside circumstances. Stress is a result of your internal world responding to those circumstances. If you're living as a slave, you're afraid you're not going to handle it right and you'll be punished. When you're an orphan, you're afraid that you won't be able to handle it alone and there'll be no one there to help you. Does that identify anyone this morning? If that's you this morning, I want you to put up your hand. I want to pray for you. Father, right across this auditorium, Lord God, for every hand raised, Lord, we declare a spirit of sonship over each life. Lord God, son and daughtership, Lord God, we release, Lord, your presence to do its work. Father, we pray that you would activate each one. Lord, that they would begin to know, that they would begin to grow into, that they would begin to learn who they are, that they are sons and daughters of the living God. Father, we pray that you would place your imprint on them now deeply. Lord, deeply. Lord, let them, let them just feel your presence. Let them feel your presence surrounding them right now, Lord God. Holy Spirit, just touch lives here. Just touch lives here. Father, we declare and release a spirit of sonship into each one, Lord God, who has responded this morning. In Jesus' name. for listening to this podcast.